Well, I'm excited that you're here this morning as we are continuing our summer series that we're calling A Summer with King David. And if you remember from previous messages or maybe uh, you're a visitor today and you haven't been here this summer uh, for this series, what, what we've learned uh, in looking at 1 Samuel is that we are finding Israel in a very dark place. And it's a dark place spiritually in their walk and in their relationship with God. And we've learned that a lot of times when we find ourselves in a dark place in our lives spiritually where we know we're not where we ought to be in our relationship with God or we're just completely not walking with God at all and we know that, the reason that we get to that place is because we have focused on the wrong things in this world to find our identity or to find our security or to find our happiness. And that's exactly what has happened with the nation of Israel. They're looking around, all around them. They're looking at what other nations have and what other nations are doing. And they all have a great king that's leading them. And so they decided that they wanted a king as well. And God is telling them, that's not my plan for you. My plan for you is not to be like everybody else. My plan for you is to trust me as your father, to trust me as your shepherd, for you to look to me for your identity, look to me uh, for uh, your successes, look for me for your security and, and your happiness. Israel said, well, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. We want to have a, we want to have a king that represents us. And so it wasn't God's plan, but we've talked about the fact sometimes God gives us exactly what we want so that we can see that it's exactly what we didn't need. And that's where Israel is at at this time. And, and today we're going to kind of uh, look at uh, something probably a, a little bit different. It's a little different focus. Uh, we don't talk about this a lot in the church, but today we're going to talk about the importance of friendships that we have in our lives. The friendships that we have in our lives and the impact that our friends also make on our lives. And honestly, when it comes to friendships, it's probably men that have the biggest problem with this, if we're all honest today. Uh, I read a, a, some statistics and surveys, and I'm going to share some of that with you in just a moment. But most men stop making close friends after they get married. And you may have a, a lot of reasons maybe going through your head why that happens. I don't know, but uh, it's just a fact that surveys have shown that after men get married, they just don't make many close friends after that. Yes, they, they have acquaintances. They, they have people that they do things with and people that maybe that they hang out with from time to time. Or, or maybe like me, they have 1,688 Facebook friends. Huh. And I don't know 1,680 of those, uh, but men don't typically have close relationships. A recent survey says that only one in ten men have someone outside his family with whom he discusses issues related to life, marriage, 
and money. The same survey goes on to tell us that one out of 20 men said that they had a friendship in which they disclosed information about how they were feeling. And today here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're going to be introduced to a very close friendship that David had. And by the way, ladies, this message isn't just for men. This message is for all of us, so don't take a nap or, or, or walk out. But one of the reasons that I wanted to touch on this today is because I believe this subject, this topic, is extremely important as it relates to the church as it relates to the body of Christ. The, the body of Christ, the, the church, if you will, should not only be a community of believers, but it should also be a community of friends. Not superficial Facebook friends, but a community of close and personal relationships. I, I, I'll tell you, and by the way, sound booth guys, I'm totally getting off my notes here. But I'm going to tell you what I, I absolutely love, and, and I don't get to do this very often, but this past week I, I got to go back in the Family Life Center on a Tuesday morning. And if you're a lady and, and you, you don't have a job or you're not committed to something, I would encourage you to show up here on a Tuesday morning. What is it, around 10 o'clock? Y'all do that? 9.30, I'm always wrong. And uh, I went back there, and they have all these tables put together, and there were about 30 ladies, and they were just sitting there sharing, sharing prayer requests, sharing things that were going on in their lives and in their families, and they have such a close bond. And, and as I walked away from that, I, I, I couldn't help but think, that's the body of Christ. That's what it's supposed to look like. And you say, well, I, you know, I, I've got to work. I've got kids. I've got all those things. I understand that. That's important. But I also want us to understand today the importance of having close relationships with other believers. Someone that we can share with. Someone that we can do life with. Someone who will encourage us. Someone who will hold us accountable. Someone who will speak good uh, things into our lives. And, and, and I understand, you know, that in a church of, you know, with, that has two separate services and we have over 500 members, that that can be a, a, a difficult thing to do. But we do our best to try to provide ways for, for this to happen. Um, but honestly, I'll be honest with you this morning, it takes some initiative on your part. Right, we we can schedule uh, an event every every night of the week and every day, but it, it takes some initiative on your part. And here's an interesting statistic that I I, I read. It, it says that in your first year of attending a church, unless you know seven people by name in the church after a year, the likelihood is that you won't be around for the second year. And, you know, we've, we've got people like this in the church. I call them ninja uh, church people. Uh, you know, they slip in undetected. Nobody knows who they are. And they slip out and, uh, when it's over and, and nobody knows who they are. And so 
as a, as a church staff and our, our church board, we, we want to do our best to make it easier for you to have relationships and build relationships. But it's going to take some initiative on your part. And if you're a lady, I just want to encourage you to strongly consider and pray, uh, praying about uh, going to this women's conference that's going to be hosted in September. It's always a very special time for the ladies of our church that go, and I know that you'll be blessed and you'll make friends, and I want to encourage you to do that. And, oh, by the way, eating homemade ice cream together is a good way to do that as well. So Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. So let's dig in this morning. Not to ice cream, but let's dig into our text. I appreciate Brandon McNew reading for us this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 18, I want to pick it up at verse 1. Again, this is what God's Word says to us. Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. I just want to stop just for a moment this morning and ask you to consider, is there someone besides your spouse, is there someone who you have become one in spirit with and love them as yourself. From that day Saul kept David with him and didn't let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and he gave it to David. Along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now, here's why I want to point this out. Uh, for those of you that may not know the context of this story, Jonathan is actually the son of King Saul. This king that they wanted, that they, they had picked out to be the leader of their nation. Well, Jonathan was, was Saul's son. And so these garments that we're talking about here in the Scripture that, that he's, he's taking off and he's given to David, these would have been very expensive garments that he was given to his friend. And, and here's what's noteworthy about this as well. In normal circumstances, Jonathan would have been the heir to the throne. In normal circumstances, he would have been the one who would become the king after Saul's passing. That's how it works. Uh, we all know recently that, that Queen Elizabeth of England uh, died and her son, her oldest son, Prince Charles, has now become the king of England. But Jonathan recognizes that David has been chosen by God to be the next king. He, he recognizes God's plan. He recognizes God's will. And without even, we don't even see a, a hint of jealousy here or, or resentment toward David. Jonathan does what? He gives up his royal garments and he gives them to David. And I'm not going to read this entire story to you uh, this morning, but I'll try my best to summarize it as quickly uh, as I can today. And, and so anyway, Scripture tells us that when David, uh, after his miraculous uh, defeat of Goliath that we talked about last week, 
We see that David returns, and there in verse 6 and 7, you'll see that, that the women all came out uh, celebrating and dancing and singing. Saul is returning with, with David as well, and they're coming back, and the, these women are out in the streets welcoming the, them, and, and they're singing, Saul has killed thousands, and David has killed tens of thousands. Well, Saul didn't like that. Saul's wondering, why, why are they giving him more credit than what I'm getting? I'm, I'm the king of this nation, right? And, and, and so Saul didn't like this, and he became very jealous of David. Well, I want to jump down now to uh, verse 10 there. David's playing his harp for the king. That's kind of uh, one of his responsibilities now there in the palace. He's sitting there playing music for the king. Saul, for whatever reason, he had a spear with him. He, I don't know if he was cleaning it or, or sharpening it or whatever, but verse 10 tells us Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Don't miss this. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. Now, if you continue reading there and read the whole story, you'll see that eventually uh, Saul cools down and, and kind of gets over it a little bit. And in the next few chapters, you see this same event kind of play out over and over and over again. And, and then we see Jonathan, the son of, uh, of the king and, and David's best friend, and he goes to his dad and he takes up for David and, and basically said, Dad, listen, David's never done anything to you. He's not done anything to harm you or, or, or to hurt you. As a matter of fact, David is, is probably the, the best person that we have here in the palace. The, the best helper and, and, and the most respected person uh, here in the, in the kingdom. And so Saul would calm down. And if you think about it, we all do this, don't we? We, we get really, really mad and then you know we kind of get over it. And then we start thinking about it again, and then we get really, really mad about it again. And that's kind of what Saul is doing and what we see playing out here. And he would try to kill David again, and it's recorded here in the Scripture that this happens five times. David now, uh, we will find, has run away from the palace. And Jonathan goes out, and he finds David. And I want to skip over to chapter 20 now. If you want to flip in your Bibles, it's chapter 20, and I want to pick it up at verse 41. It says, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And we'll see this commitment and see this covenant play out uh, in the days ahead as we go through this story. But I just want to stop this morning and focus on for, for just a moment today uh, you know, I, I don't know that there's any better story in the Bible that teaches us what it means to be a true friend and allow somebody into our life, allow someone to be a, a part of, of who we are. 
and be that close. It's amazing to me uh, here that, that Jonathan, the true heir to the throne of his father, he respected and he surrendered to God's plan instead. And he genuinely loved David. Jonathan put his feelings aside. He put his future aside. He put his pride aside, and he was a true and faithful friend to the very end. Uh, Listen to me, church. Uh, True friendship is selfless. That's what it looks like. It's selfless. It rejoices in the blessings that your friend gets, right? Uh, Even when those blessings are something that you would like to have had for yourself. Your friend gets a new car. It means you're just as happy for them as they are that they got a new car. Right? Your friend gets a, a, a new house. Your friend gets a promotion at work. Your friend gets a, a, a big raise. And instead of being jealous about what they have, you're happy for them because of the blessings that they have received. John, Jonathan and David, they, they weren't just mere companions brought together through circumstances of life. They weren't just work colleagues. Their their kids didn't just happen to play on the same ball team together. They they weren't just fishing buddies. No, chapter 18 and verse 3, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but it says that they made a covenant to each other. They made a covenant to each other. They made a covenant to look after each other. They made a covenant. That even if it became inconvenient for them to do so, that they would be there. And that means more than just being around each other. It means choosing to get involved in the things that matter. And not only getting involved in the things that matter, but talking. Man, you hear me? Talking about things that matter. You see, a true friendship, a true biblical friendship, takes being intentional. It takes effort. It takes initiative on your part. It's a choice to be involved in each other's lives and to talk about and get into the things that truly matter in life. Dr. Paul Tripp, some of you may have uh, read some of his writings and books, but he once said, and I want to paraphrase it a little, but I love this so much. He says, a true friend, the kind of friend that we all need, is one who is close enough to see into our life, notice the weeds in our heart, ask about them, and help us pull them up. I love that. I love that. A true friend is one who's close enough to see into our life, notice the weeds in our heart, Ask us about them and then help us to pull them out. And here's the truth of the matter as it pertains to friends. And you know this is true, and I don't have to tell you, but I do want to remind you. Our friendships shape who we are. The friendships that we have and the friendships that we make shape who we are. Like Brandon read for us earlier, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. 
And I love the way the NLT version of the Bible says this. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. (laughs) I know a little bit about that. Frankie does too. Anybody experience this truth in their life besides me? Some of you may be familiar with Craig Groeschel. He's a pastor of a great church, Life Church. And he, in him, he was preaching about this passage of Scripture. And he says this verse means that there's one place in your lives that you can look right now to accurately predict your future. It's who your close friends are. I've quoted him before, but he says this. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. One of the most important decisions that you make in your life is who you're going to do life with. Who you walk closely with. Craig goes on to say this. He says, we all have something we'd like to become. A better parent, a better student, a better worker, a more solid Christian. What if the decision to become that was really a decision about what friends you chose? You are one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. You are one friend away from being a better parent, better spouse, or one friend away from being a worse one. And our friends are important. Friendships are so very important. And it should disturb us today how little value we seem to place on that in our lives. How little value our culture places on that and how few friends that we really have, especially in the church and in the context of the body of Christ. And this even applies to your pastor this morning. And I'll honestly admit to you that I tend to shy away from getting too close to people. It's kind of like you got burned once, I'm going to stay away from the fire kind of deal. And so I tend to shy away from getting too close to anyone in fears of being hurt or betrayed or experiencing great loss. I believe that there's a lot for us to take home and to consider from this story today, right? There's a lot here that we probably should think about and consider. But most importantly, and I've been saying this uh, each week in our messages, that if we look, we can see Jesus all throughout these stories of David, right? So think about this. The story of Jonathan and Saul. Right? We see an example here of two ways that we could respond to God's appointed king. Now, the first response we see here is Saul's. He rejects God's appointed king, and he tries to kill him. 
He tries to kill David to keep David off of his throne. The second response that we see here to God's plan and God's appointed king is is Jonathan's response. Who does what? He humbly bows his knee to God's appointed king. Even though by doing this, he had to give up his claim to the throne. Jonathan had to give up his claim to the throne. And it cost him a lot of strain on his family and with his family. Don't don't miss this in the story. Jonathan is a picture of what it means and what it looks like to surrender to Jesus as king. Jesus said to come to him. In order to come to him, we have to walk away from our claim to the throne and be willing to forsake even our father and mother if we want to become his disciples. The question is, which is it going to be for you? Are you going to resist Jesus? Or are you going to surrender the throne of your heart to him? There are only two choices. You either bow before him in absolute and total surrender or you participate in his murder. You participate in his crucifixion. Think about it. Like Jonathan, Jesus laid aside his royal robes. He laid aside his royal garments, and what did he do with them? He gave them to us so that we might be clothed with righteousness. You see, he stepped down from the throne in heaven. He gave up his position. He laid aside his royal robes, and he gave them to you and to me, even though he was the rightful heir. And then we turned our back on him. We betrayed him. But he refused to walk away from you. Even when he had every right to walk away from you, he didn't. What a friend. What a friend. We have in Jesus. For us today, Jesus is God's appointed king. However, for him to be king, you have to give up claim, your claim, to the throne. Only one of you can be king. Who will it be? Have you done that? Because honestly, I would hate for you to leave here today thinking about how to make better friends and not be in a relationship with Jesus. We're going to close this morning as a family. We're going to close this morning as the body of Christ, as friends, sharing in the Holy Sacrament of communion.
And at this time, I want to ask our ushers if they would please come at this time and help us distribute our communion elements. You can come and go ahead and take them and start um, giving these out. And, and I just want to say this while they come and they begin serving you. The Church of the Nazarene does not require that you be a member of our church in order to receive communion. All we require is that you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and that He is your King today, that He sits on the throne of your heart. If you have believed and you have received Christ as your personal Savior, you are invited to participate with us today. Before we take the elements and receive communion this morning, I would love for you to join me in something we used to do a long time ago in the church, something called responsive readings. Some of you older folks may be familiar. If you're new to it, uh, it's fairly simple. I will read the first line as the leader, and then you will read the highlighted line together as the congregation. Would you please join me? Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. It is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Everyone together now. How much more then? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? If you would please take the communion elements in your hand at this time, and if you peel off the bottom layer of the cup, it will uncover the bread. Please remove the bread at this time. Jesus said this about the bread that you're holding. He said, this is my body, which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat of the bread and remember Christ's body, which was broken because by his wounds we are healed. Now peel back the top to expose the juice. Jesus said this about the cup that we're holding today. He said, this cup is the new covenant. There's that word again. Covenant is so important in our lives. This cup's the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, Do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink of the cup today and remember the blood that was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. This morning we're going to close with prayer. And again... I want to open these altars to anyone that would like to come and pray this morning. If you have a need or situation or you need God's direction or you just want to come today and bring something to your Father, I would invite you to come. Some would like to come and pray with Kelly this morning. Be a beautiful. Dear God, we come to you this morning thanking you for your goodness.
thanking you for the grace that's been made available to us today, God. I thank you for this reminder today of the mighty and awesome love that you have shown to each and every one of us. You did something that you did not have to do. You left your throne. You came here to walk among us, to teach us, to give us an example of how to live our lives as followers of the King. You took off your royal robes and you gave them to us so that we could be called the children of God. God, I thank you for this awesome reminder of what you've done for me and what you've done for each and every one of us. And God, today also, this illustration, this example that you give us in Scripture about loving you and loving others, I I think sometimes I think that that just means being nice to people. But God, today through your word, it's speaking to our hearts today about love is more than just being nice. Love's about being open, open, being vulnerable, being there, being present, being willing to allow someone to look into our heart and see the weeds and to talk about it and pull them out. And we do that with the help of your Holy Spirit. God, today I know that there are people that are hurting. I know that there are people that are struggling. Here in our very congregation, God, I just continue to pray for Randy, his treatments, what he's going through right now, God. I just pray that you would give his doctors wisdom and direction. But God, I I pray for healing in his life. I pray that he would so feel the power of God at work in his life that he would know without a doubt who you are and what you're doing today. God, I pray for the others in our our church that are sick and going through treatments and going through difficult times and maybe going through difficult times with children. And that hurts us so bad. And it reminds us of you as our father when you've seen us go down the wrong paths and doing the wrong things and walking in opposition to who you are and what you've called us to be, how it hurts you. God, so I pray for these parents today that are worried about their children. And and I pray in each and every situation, God, just that you would be known, that your presence would be known. 
whether you send a person or a situation or whatever it might be, that they would be reminded of your love and your grace. And they would be open and vulnerable to receiving those robes of righteousness that you have for them. That they would make a decision to walk with you instead of walking with the world. And so, God, if we can be used to be a part of that solution, if we can be used to be a part of that healing for that family, God, please give us direction. Please help us to know how to help and what to do. And God, for these hurting parents, God, comfort them. Draw them close. Give them peace. Give them hope. Give them comfort. Give them strength. Give them wisdom. Give them exactly what they need in every moment of every day as they trust you. Not only with their lives, but the lives of their children. God, I pray for our church that we truly would be, look like, and live out being the body of Christ. As one body of believers, a body of friends and friendships and relationships. God, my prayer is just that I would look more like you. And that people would see you through me. And people would see you through your church. Through this church. That's who we've been called to be. I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you today. That I can stand with certainty wearing the robes of righteousness and know that I'm a child of the King. And if there be anyone here today that can't say that, that can't know that, I pray that that today would be the day they would surrender the throne of their heart to you. God, again, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're doing. And I thank you for what you're going to do in the days ahead. It's in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus that we pray. And we ask these things. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning as we go and... Let's share as the body of Christ and a group of friends our benediction today. Read it with me this morning. Lord, let us go out into the world in peace and dedicated to your service. Let us hold tightly to that which is good, supporting the weak, helping the needy, and honoring all people. May the strength of God sustain us. May the power of God preserve us. May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us, and may the love of God go with us this day and forever. Amen and amen. God bless you all. I love you very much.